Hey, welcome to the 176th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Amanda O'Connor and Blake Robin. I'm Matt Enloe. And I'm Oren Kaplan, and today we have Drake DeRamis and Garrett Price on the podcast. They have just made the feature documentary film Love Antosha. Garrett directed and Drake produced but they both have done many other things. Yeah, they're longtime collaborators. Garrett has been editing for Drake for a long, long time. And even though Garrett is a self-described editor as his first love, he and Drake kind of have this history of mining story out of raw material together that's really fascinating and really informs the way that they approached this documentary. Right. Garrett is just like so experienced as an editor. He's editing a Fox TV show now. He edited on Nashville, we found out during the interview. He's also edited a ton of documentaries, films that were at Sundance. And Drake, the way he makes, he's a director by trade, I guess you would say, and the way he made his movies, like Like Crazy, which I think was his first breakout movie, but he also made Douchebag and some other movies before that that had really amazing festival plays. But he makes outlines, these really intricate outlines, and then finds the dialogue and the scene with the actors So not that it's documentary filmmaking, but it's related to capturing moments as opposed to trying to chisel or control things. Yeah, yeah, moments. Um, So it's really interesting to hear their approach and how they made this documentary. And it's just like a really moving documentary. Uh, I'm sure most of our listeners know, but if not, there's an actor named Anton Yelchin that passed away like way too early recently and the documentary is about his life and kind of what a fascinating person he was an artist I mean he's an actor I think most of us know him as an actor but he was also a filmmaker and a photographer and a poet and a writer and he's I don't know he's just like really interesting yeah he's such an incredible artist and such a ample person for a documentary that it was really inspiring and insightful and just kind of a becomes a meditation not only about this young artist's life but ultimately about what it means to be inspired and how much time we have on this planet and you know some pretty heavy deep things he has an incredible relationship with basically everyone he touches especially his parents but this film is filled with incredible cameos from all of the different actors that he's worked with. He's Anton Yelton did 69 movies before passing away. And so he's, and he probably was not even 30 yet, right? Yeah, he wasn't. I don't think so. Yeah. His 20s. Yeah. Well, so check it out. Love Vantosha. I think it should be in theaters now when you hear this. Uh, but look it up. It, it's playing all over the place. Yeah, and it's um, on rolling release, so I think there's a lot of interesting ways to see it. Also, we didn't find out till towards the end of the podcast, but it's self-distributed. So I know that a lot of our listeners are curious about that side of the business. There's an extra layer of DIY can-do-it-ness to this movie on top of it all. Yeah, and they premiered it at Sundance and then got a, f- a bunch of different offers and decided to just do it themselves. Yeah, it's very Anton, as you'll learn if you watch the movie. Right. Um, cool. Well, before we talk to Drake and Garrett, how about we talk about what we've been working on lately? Wow. It's been a while. Um, yeah. Oren, yeah. I'm very curious. You know, I think because we've had so many episodes that we've batched recently, it's been a little hard to catch up. We're flooded with exciting opportunities, so we haven't been able to, to talk in real time so much. What are you doing, man? Well, Matt, thanks for asking. I am about to leave town i'm going tomorrow to orlando to shoot for a week and i am traveling with a cinematographer Mm -hmm. and he 
is bringing a lot of equipment, and so we have to carry it all. It's like an Alexa mini. And it's just the two of you traveling. Just the two of us traveling. Everyone else is from New York or Florida. Actually, you know, some of our cast is traveling from L.A., but I haven't quite. Yeah, I guess we wouldn't ask them to carry camera <laughs> camera gear. <laughs> Unless you really knew them well. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't think. But uh, so I'm learning a couple of things that you, I know when you did Ellen, you traveled a lot and you probably brought all your own gear most of the times. Uh, I mean, I've shot out of town a we, lot. We would bring 100% of it. Yeah. Okay. But usually we rent equipment because, you know, you're going to carry a 17-inch monitor. It just seems crazy. Well, in that case... In general, I would say when you are building out a kit where, you know, travel is going to be a big part of it, I think you just kind of are more selective on the things that you buy. You're not bringing big lights or anything like that. It's really, you're getting road rags instead of like built flags and things like that. And we have a little wireless monitor. Right. And I guess, well, so for this job, there's going to be like eight client or something, agency or something. Ooh. But also I've traveled before with gear. But either it's like real small, like run and gun type stuff, or it's there's like more crew coming, so they're kind of wearing. Or like if it's like to San Francisco, someone they'll rent a van and drive it, or to Vegas they'll rent a van and so, yeah. So a who, PA will who drive is it. meeting you in Orlando? So in Orlando, we have you know we're hiring a gaffer, key grip, uh, all the lighting crew, PAs, production coordinator, all so, that stuff. So is. what gear are you bringing with you then? Just an Alexa? We're bringing the Alexa Mini. We are bringing two zoom lenses which are big we might bring a, one or two other backup prime lenses like ultra primes uh and then we're bringing a wireless system wireless monitors and the biggest thing is the batteries which apparently you can't check so oh, interesting. we have to that makes sense i think they're a little explosive yeah i guess that whole lithium-ion thing but so <laughs> we have to i just have to carry a backpack and a carry on full of batteries they're gonna be so heavy and you also have to risk like are, are we gonna put this like fifty thousand dollar zoom lens and trust some person to like be throwing it around you know and are we gonna well pelican cases are uh designed for that there there's no joke there well so what's interesting about this specific case that uh this dp has is he designed he you know people when they own gear they buy like all these different pieces and they you could like buy some case and like foam and try to, you know, cut it out or whatever. But if you want it to really protect your lenses, they have odd shapes. So you take them to like professionals that will like laser cut the foam to make sure everything fits perfectly. And he said on his specific lens case, the guy that made, made the case for him that makes all of Panavision's cases uh, said that he needs at least two inches of buffer space around everywhere. And there's one area, one part of the lens, it's only one inch. And he was like, I'm not going to like guarantee this because only one inch of foam so yeah it's scary checking that also like the alexa mini itself i mean i know there's foam i know but you know it's just like hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of camera gear sure you're just like and in this case does the is the dp's most of it is his own personal gear is that accurate yeah but he has he has like a real interesting relationship with gear he buys a lot of gear but he also sells a lot of gear and he finds that he can you know, it, it, we never talk about this on the podcast because it's not a gear-oriented podcast, but the problem with buying gear is it's really expensive and then it becomes outdated if it's camera gear or if it's lighting. It's really hard to make your money back because yeah, sure. it's so 
an $8,000 light rents for like $50 a day. So how many days do you have to rent it for, you know? And then LED comes out and all of a sudden all your HMIs are not being rented anymore. Anyway, it's uh, it's just all kind of fascinating to me figuring out the logistics of who's carrying what. And I learned about this thing that you already knew about called a media A media badge, pa- yeah, pass? yeah. Which I, you know, to be fair, like uh, I'm fortunate that a lot of the producers that I was working with just led the charge on all that stuff. So it's really just through osmosis that I'm like picking up on all of that stuff. But yeah, I guess um, depending on the airport that you're at, sometimes like basically a media pass, and that could be as simple as like just flashing a business card or whatever. They'll give you kind of, basically it's a way of saying like, hey, we, we get what you're dealing with and what your problems are. And so we can kind of accommodate for that in a, in a more official way than just like if you were just checking a bunch of stuff, you know? Yeah. Well, I thought, what if I, I can read you what, well, we actually got a letter. Oh, interesting. Um, that we can present at the airport. So this is on the production company. It's a known production company. It's on their letterhead and it says to American Airlines. To whom it may concern, this is to certify that Mr. Orrin Kaplan is traveling to Orlando, departing from L.A. on this date, on this flight number. Mr. Kaplan is traveling to do a commercial shoot as an employee and is returning on this date. Please apply the media rate to Mr. Kaplan's travel. Feel free to contact me should you have any questions. And then there's like the contact info. And then I guess there's like a very specific media rate. Oh, so number of we're allowed 25 bags total, which I don't think normally you can do. Uh, we're allowed up to 100 pounds per bag, which also... Yeah. Uh, uh, we have 126 linear inches for our bag size, which is much bigger than your standard. And then it's only $50 a piece for domestic flights and $90 right. for international flights. So, so yeah. So, that's the catch there is that... Um, you're still paying. You're still... Yeah. Certainly, you're still paying. And it's a flat rate, basically, for everything, even if it's a big old tripod case or whatever. You do want to be strategic about what things you can check. So certain bags, like maybe you want to take your lenses or your camera or whatever, especially if it's something small and sleek, it's cheaper to oftentimes check your bags as a passenger and then any excess you put onto the media badge. There's a little bit of like horse trading to be done. You rearrange the the deck chairs on that stuff if you care to save your company money, basically. Yeah. But so yeah, so traveling. Yeah. And also you um, you check on the curb. You know, like you don't go all the way in. You just kind of oh, unload everything. Right. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess that's that's kind of my new thing I, I'm learning about this week. Which yeah. Which kind of funny. The f- funny thing that you make me think of is like we would travel with our entire crew and inevitably everyone but one or two people had TSA pre. So, you know, I have TSA pre, which is like for people who don't know, you kind of go... Yeah, for it's $85, like, they, you yeah. kind of get to not take your shoes off at the airport. Yeah, exactly. But you also go into a different line, so you tend to go a little faster. Mm-hmm. Way faster. But yeah, so inevitably, you get through, and then you're waiting for one of your crew people on the other end. So, Well, I think if you put everyone on the same reservation, a lot of times that pre-check can Sometimes spread to can. other yeah. people. Yeah. But uh, yeah, sitting on the plane, too, is like, sometimes I'm like, do I want to sit next to this crew person for this entire flight? Well, it used to also be that if you flew first class, all of your bags were taken care of, right? Like there wasn't a cap on the number of bags you could check. So old crews used to 
draw straws basically the camera team would draw straws and one person really would get first class because it made economic sense to upgrade one person and then you check all of their bags and it wasn't the the director uh no no because i well i it depends on who uh, who the director is and who the the camera team is like oftentimes i think the director whether they are flying first class or not is kind of up to union rules in certain circumstances or um just like who their agent is basically what they negotiated and then separate i think the camera team kind of as like a bonding thing because the other thing you have to think about is like where you're keeping all this gear so sometimes you'll need a bigger room you'll need a suite basically if you've got a lot of gear yeah, right especially if you're prepping cameras and mm-hmm. multiple exactly cameras. exactly so like having enough room and like table space and stuff to build everything out is a, another part of it and so on travel jobs oftentimes will draw straws or like somebody, you know, the person who has the hardest job, sometimes they'll give the the best room to. And like, it's always funny. I remember one time in Utah, like they had like a hot tub. And so it was like, yeah, your room is filled with boxes and it's kind of claustrophobic, but also you're in a hot tub. Right. It's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. If you're in the hot tubs. Travel's fun. Only weird people are in <laughs> You know, I'm not really into them. Actually. I don't, I don't love a hot <laughs> tub. Not surprised. I like a hot tub for about 45 seconds. Yeah. I like, I enjoy them, but I also am weirded out by them at the same time. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, um, cool. Well, uh, have fun, man. Thanks. Enjoy your trip. I won't. There is going to be a 5 a.m. call on my first day, which is 2 a.m. our time. Oh. And then 4.30 a.m. the next day. That is a kick in the teeth, man. I know. Oh and I keep like trying to get them to like change the script <laughs> or something <laughs> so that I can sleep in a little longer. Yeah, that's really a genuinely bad tactical move. That's not you being a baby. That's like two key key members. And are, our cast, too, is coming from L.A. Yeah. Yeah. What a two AM call time. So I have to shoot before the park opens. Oh, sure. Sure. Um, I mean some things we do. But anyway, okay, cool. So before we get into Drake and Garrett and talk about Love Antosha, we want to remind people real quick that we have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. It's a place that you can go help out the podcast, support us. If you uh wanna give us ten bucks, we will send you a just shoot it hat. For free, for ten bucks. For ten bucks. <laughs> um, um, but uh, but yeah, but just a place you can uh, help us out if you want to donate to uh, help us pay for our live events, our editing, and all that stuff. Um, if not, then don't. We don't care. We don't need your money. We're successful people on our own, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, it's just more like we don't have to explain to anybody. Like, oh boy. Yeah, you're losing so much well, on that podcast. You're a lot of money on this podcast. The worst is like when people are like, oh, yeah, they must be they must be making bank. Like when people just assume, like I've seen this, like someone will have a YouTube channel and they have like 35,000 subscribers and everyone's like, oh, yeah, they've got so many subscribers. They're just probably making bank. And it's like, no, they're making like $40 a month. Yeah. I mean, it's a complicated thing, right? Like you and I do great, right? Um, like we're... We live well, I guess is what I mean to say. On the podcast? Um, oh, no, yeah. Yeah, no. no, I'm just saying. But, but also, like, we spend... I was looking at the numbers that we spend on the podcast, and it is, you know, I'm glad we love it. <laughs> right. Well, speaking of Patreon and, uh, you know, the, our podcast and how it keeps going, here's a quick note from our sponsor. 
Hey, so we're here with Zach Lipovsky, the creator of the new app Shotlister that helps you out with your shot lists on set. Can you tell us how you came up with it? Sure. I mean, I was on set making my first movie and couldn't really believe there was no normal way of making shot lists. Pretty much everyone does it their own way. And you basically print out an Excel spreadsheet and then scribble all over it as the plan goes to pieces. And uh, I was basically like doing the math in the margins of the piece of paper on the back of my AD, trying to figure out like how many shots we could do before the end of the day and just figured there has to be a better way of doing this. Yeah, but Zach, don't you think that you miss out on the bonding experience of losing your shot list and asking all of the crew members and then them kind of looking disappointed in you because you're their leader like that's Uh, an important part of filmmaking for me shocking shocking yeah i don't actually miss that you know but it's it's a good point i'm always asking i'm like can someone please give me a copy of the shot list and like and i'll ask it three or four times throughout the day and at the end of the day i look in my pocket and there's like four copies of it in there with Shotlister, you can just sync it to all of your crew so they all have it on their phones. Perfect. So you can borrow their phones when you lose yours. Yeah. If you lose your phone, you can still find it. Why does Shotlister work better than printed out paper? Well, it does a bunch of things. Not only is it the best way of building a shot list, you can build it digitally and customize it and everything, but it allows you to also build a shooting schedule where you can kind of basically kind of like a one-liner, but for shots where you can add time to each shot and how long you think it's going to take. And then you can change it with just a flick of the finger as everything completely goes to crap (laughs) once you're shooting. (laughs) And is that not something that your AD would usually take care of? Yeah. I mean, you can do it together. You you can create the shot list and then you can make the AD the, the author of it and they can change it, you know, as you go. You can basically, sometimes it's the DP doing it. You know, everyone does it differently. And you yourself have directed a couple of movies for Disney. You had a movie at TIFF, obviously a filmmaker yourself. And you find that it helps you on set? I don't know how people shoot without it. Because it allows you basically to visualize your shoot day rather than just guessing how you're doing. You have a very concrete visual of how you're doing. And that allows you to kind of basically prioritize stuff you really need and put the stuff you don't at the end. And as that changes, you know, move it around. So that's really, really helpful. And do you think it's helpful even for a small kind of crew, someone just starting out with their buddies? Actually, most of our people are small crews because they don't have an AD and they're also the director and they're also doing craft services. And so they need something they can rely on because they don't have a lot of crew to rely on. (laughs) So Zach, you've uh, decided to give away 100% free 50 copies of Shotlister every month, even if you're listening to this show again in 2020. 2020 actually isn't that long from now. <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> that's, that's not true. that. 25, 25, go with that. Um, yeah, basically um, every month we're going to give away 50 copies. So if someone is listening to this and they email just shoot it pod at shotlister.com and says, you know, what platform they want. We have Mac OS, Android, and iOS. And whatever platform exists in the year 2525, and then we'll just send you a free copy. We get 50 away months. So if there's if there's ones left, send us an email. And that sounds crazy, but I think there's a really smart tactic to it. And basically, the way it boils down is as soon as you're into this app, as soon as you adopt it as part of your shooting process, you become an evangelist. <laughs> a lot of people who use it end up telling all their friends and they want their crew to use it and they want their AD to use it. So we're giving you a free copy so you can use it. And it's a fully free copy. It never expires or anything. And then, you know, if you love it tell your friends that is putting your money where your mouth is zach i love it so if you are listening to this podcast even months from now even years from now email just shoot it pod at shotlister.com for your free copy of shotlister thanks so much zach let's hop into our conversation with garrett and drake garrett and drake 
in the house. Welcome, hey guys. Thanks day, for having us. Daytime recording. Yeah. What's Croy's instead of beers? Beers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's been an yeah. early morning, but we're what here. A, we made it. Beautiful light in this room. It's really nice. Yeah, you guys will see on the selfie Instagram. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. shoot a pod. There I guess go. our selfie will be a daytime selfie. Oh, finally. Yeah. Um, guys, you made a movie. We made a movie. Tell us about Love Antosha. It's a documentary <laughs> that a... Garrett directed uh, about Anton Yelchin, yeah. our good our good friend who it, it, is no longer with us, but is now with us and with everybody else over the course of the next couple of months as we show the movie. It was like the first thing I consciously said to my folks, I want to do this. I want to make movies. Really, the last number of years, you've done so much. Next tonight, here to the stunning death in Hollywood. Police are saying it appears to be a freak accident that killed the 27-year-old actor. The random events that had to occur for this to happen were, were just cataclysmically unfair, you know. My parents came to this country not knowing a word of English and just started to work. My mom, I owe her everything for believing in me. He had a curiosity that with most people degrades over time. I was so kind of baffled by how good he was. I wanted to be better, smarter, cooler, but couldn't even hang with him. Who he was as an artist was so far beyond acting because he could like do everything. Yeah, it's, it's a portrait of Anton and how he lived his life. And it, it's a movie about life. And that's what, the, that's what we set out to make. But and it's uncompromising, and it 100% is not a fluff piece, even though a lot of people present it that way. It's an honest portrayal of, of who he was and his dark side and his demons and his insecurities and all the chaos of being an artist. All of that's in the movie. And I think anyone who's ever created anything or wants to create anything can take a lot from the film. Absolutely. I, I, I didn't know Anton. Um, I met him through this process. So to be able to sit back and objectively go through his writings and his journals and all his pictures and all the music he made and really try to find a story, the find the story I wanted to tell and kind of use these as building blocks to paint this portrait of this incredible human being is kind of the process I went through of meeting him. Um, I was introduced to the Elchins through Drake, who they actually reached out to Drake initially about making this film because of his relationship with Anton and how much Anton respected Drake as a filmmaker and a friend. And to Drake's credit, he really convinced them to bring an objective eye into the piece, but wanted to be involved. So he brought me in. He took, he jumped back in a producer role. I jumped in a director's role. Both roles we've, both never, we've done. never done. But that, in the spirit of Anton yeah. and his career and his life and all the risks he took and all the different things he wanted to do, I think it kind of made sense to try something different and do an experiment. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, we talk all the time about how like directing also is... I mean, you're, half your job is producing. So right. you obviously drink, you've directed before, so you kind of, producing isn't new to you, but yeah, you've makes never it twice as been easy, like a sole right? producer. True. Right? Yes. Very true. And this being the first time director, that's the part of directing I don't like, actually, is the producing <laughs> part of it. You know, I'm, a, I'm an editor by trade, so, which is more former pure. editor. <laughs> Someone quoted you the yeah. other day in the trades, which yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. fucking love. <laughs> I love the idea of that because we were cutting my new movie at the same time, too. So we were doing two movies simultaneously, yeah. and it was a really fun. To, kind of, yeah, it was just this creative kaleidoscopic experience where we were just constantly grinding over everything mm-hmm. and just making stuff. It was awesome. Did yeah. you put any footage from one movie in the other movie? <laughs> I mean, actually <laughs> we could No, but I mean, I, I have There's to say sexuality. In both right. Movies. I mean, I think Anton, the spirit of Anton's with us through 
both films. He carried over from making my film into Drake's. And that's uh, really just, fascinating, though, to yeah. think about, like not just the crossover between just making two things at once, but also the way that they influence one another. Oh, Absolutely, big yeah. time. We talk about that all the time. Yeah. We're, you and know, also, doc, one's a doc and one's a narrative, like a scripted. But they're both kind of docs, right? The way the way we do it. Drake makes his movies where it's a lot of it's improv and just you know it's. For me, it's like cutting a doc. You're finding these moments in life that you you can't get on a script. You know what I mean? So just just to be clear, though, so Garrett, you're cutting on both movies basically simultaneously. Are, you, are your hands on the keyboard for both movies? Yeah, I mean, there, the, you know, for the most part, there was overlap. I guess you know, sure. we didn't start both at the same time, but but there's definitely I think Tosha picture locked before Thanksgiving, though. No. Yeah, yeah, we had to get our Sundance. So and then good. you started cutting right after Thanksgiving. Yeah. Right? So yeah. So yeah. it was just it was mostly just all the finishing, the sound, uh-huh. the grading, all the all the elements, ADR, everything we did after you know, simultaneously. It, but and there's, there's, a, there's a spiritual overlap. Uh, absolutely. Guess, big time. Big time. But you weren't physically cutting. I no. mean you were making little changes and right. things like that. No, but no, I promise I was all in on your movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, <laughs> sure, I'm sure you were. Yeah. It shows. I wasn't I distracted. I wasn't they... distracted at all, <laughs> I promise. Yeah. I read that the second uh, half of your movie is the editing is trash <laughs> yeah right. agreed yeah. agreed what the uh, fuck it's, it's all making sense now um so that's really fascinating that uh his parents are kind of the ones that originated the movie yeah. Anton's parents i didn't realize that um and but to their credit too they definitely i mean there's so many things in the movie that are really honest and maybe a little bit embarrassing but at the mm-hmm. end of the day you know well, you had to do it that yeah, way and yeah. they were cool about it they didn't they didn't force anything well it's something from the very beginning when we first met them and I stressed I was like I, I'm very much interested in doing this but I, I really need the autonomy to tell the story that I wanted to tell because mm-hmm. I've worked on docs where states have been involved it's hard you know it's a, it's a there's a balancing act you have to do there because everybody wants to see their loved ones on these pedestals obviously you know which totally makes sense but at the same time as a filmmaker, you really want to explore your subject, your person, and kind of show you know all aspects of their lives, all the layers they are, because you know nothing's black and white. You know what I mean? And that's what you know. Again, to their credit, they understood that. I think being artists themselves, raising an artist, they knew how important it was to let a filmmaker tell their vision in something like this, and they let me do it with their son, which is you know kudos to them. So it, it's so interesting to hear that you didn't know Anton, right? right? And th- and that makes it- was strategically so much sense. Right. Drake, do you feel like having known him that uh, and having more influence over the film than, say, Anton's parents, that you found yourself conflicted at all in terms of, like, the starkness of the story? Um, not necessarily. I mean, I think it was just maybe, maybe just being a bullshit meter at the end of the day a little bit. Just this idea that, okay, that's Anton... Or maybe we're fudging something a little bit here, or that's the truth, or wait a minute, do we want to include this or that? But no, I mean, at the end of the day, Garrett just kind of made made what made sense to him, you know, with all the materials he had, and there's a ton of materials. And um, right. But no, I don't, I mean, the cool thing is the movie is very inspiring and uplifting, and it's not sad. I mean, right. you know, the tragedy of what happened to Anton is such a small part of his life, actually, and therefore it's a small part of the film. Did you ever feel, between the two of you, that you were like, oh, maybe we're... Uh, trying to course correct too hard we're trying to you're maybe a little too hard on him because you didn't want to seem soft I actually don't think so because he was such an authentic person he would not appreciate that you know no and that's I mean the first thing the ocean said when they watched the movie is Anton would have loved the movie and then they said Anton would have made this movie so that I think is the greatest compliment is that they 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 know they knew their son was so 
curious and out there and I mean all the different things photography music all that so it's like sexuality and all the different things is growing up uh, you know. but also Matt you're describing the movie as stark which is like the exact opposite of what I got from it <laughs> sure sure yeah, yeah I guess what like I... <laughs> my my impression was like fuck first of all I hope there's a ton of footage of me as a kid which I know there isn't uh, so I uh, guess especially with the timestamp too how, how nice know, is right? that little like, gift oh, they of like... added they added that come on <laughs> there's no real record night. I promise <laughs> um, but also I was like I was jealous of him I mean his nights out in the oh, valley yeah, yeah. to sound like so fun awesome. hey man yeah. you can go to a sex club if you want <laughs> yeah. it's called the layer it's yeah, called the layer yeah but if, if I bring my like point and shoot I don't think everyone's gonna be excited about <laughs> well, that I think it'll be fine <laughs> just say you're Luis Cardero so you'll get in anywhere what you're talking about is like what as we start showing this, sharing this movie now, it's getting it's, it's getting out there. What I find so fascinating and just you know, I, what I love so much is that not only are audiences learning about Anton, but it's turning out to be a very self-reflective experience for an audience. You know, people start like questioning their own life and how they're spending their time and sure, are they definitely. making and creating enough and in the short amount of time we're given. And that I fucking love. And that's it's not something I went in thinking but now that it's kind of permeating, it's something that's incredible, and it's so Anton. If, if He would hate the fact there's a movie made about him because he was such a humble person, but knowing the response this is getting and the inspirate and how he's inspiring people, I think he would love it. He would it. go, oh, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be kind of okay with yeah. it. Yeah, well, can I talk for a second about a couple of things that like I really found fascinating about this documentary yes, and please. that makes it unique and a little hard to recreate? Which, for, by the way, on the podcast, we're always trying to like mine things that other people, that our listeners can recreate. Right. So this is not, yeah, not a, a good little, example. A little more prescriptive. <laughs> yeah. Sure. yeah. Um, so if you're we'll, best friends with a yeah. famous person. But first of all, like we know, we all know, I, most of us, I think, know the ending of the story. Right. So it's like very like Romeo and Juliet, like Shakespearean in right. a way that it just loads, like there's that. Well, so, so there's that's like the first building block. And I think that from a emotional story point and then. The second one is realizing that his parents like escaped from Russia, pretty much. I mean, it's not quite World War II Germany, but it's like not that far yeah, off. It's pretty from that. gnarly still, yeah. Um, and they have one child, you know, and they and I, as a father of one child, and like even we were talking about like one kid and versus as a two former kids. ice skater. Yes, yeah. I, <laughs> more more of a snow plower, uh. but uh, um, but yeah, I. Uh, like think about having one kid and think about like his parents story and like I just so connected with his dad when his dad is like I mean I, I don't know why I would connect with this I, I didn't go through this ex experience but when he brought his like son to America and he's like standing on the shore and he's like crying sure. the universal themes of like wanting to provide for your child and loving them so much I think everyone it, sees themselves and an that, immigrant right? story is so timely right now right. let alone right right, right. You know? but it just to me has like a hundred times more meaning because you know like the right. ending, right? So every, and with most movies, you don't know the ending. And right. so you don't, I guess I'm just from a storytelling perspective, it seems like an interesting tool. And you, you know, Drake, you made, um, sorry, I'm blanking on the name of the movie, the, the one that you basically made like a Romeo and Juliet uh, movie, right? Um, oh, uh, Equals? Yes, Equals, okay, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, Equals is pretty much like a futuristic. Yeah, Romeo yeah, Juliet, sure. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, like we know it's like, this inevitable end and i i guess i i don't know if i'm spoiling that movie. no it's all good it's all good. but like when you when you start realizing like oh this is like this kind of tragic path it's like i don't know it just kind of adds so much meaning and like 10 minutes right. into your movie i was like oh man i'm like already like mm -hmm. emotional you know yeah and i'm just like watching it on a small screen so anyway no, i, I thought that cool. was interesting and i'm curious 
given that, or you can speak about like your own way into it is as a documentary filmmaker, a lot of times we think of like editors and, you know, directors finding the story from right. the footage. Right. Yeah. But you're but talking because about, you have this ending, everything is informed by it. Right. 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 And also you're talking about, um, not wanting the, like his parents to decide the story you want, you, you want to go with your story. So how do you even yeah, like I, come up with a story before you I, make the movie? I think as a documentarian or as a filmmaker, you, you find, you know, that piece that you really latch on to relate to and kind of build from the inside out. Um, for me, being a parent myself, like you, it, it was a relationship between Anton and his parents. Um, and I ultimately knew that this is how I'm going to frame this film around, you know, this incredible bond he had specifically his mom, um, and, you know, and, to, you know, thank God Anton and Anton wrote these letters his whole life to his mom that really serve as a framing device of his coming yeah. of age. You There's a mean? moment in the movie where like you're showing like a montage of all of the different notes that he's written. Like, I love you, mommy, different riffs off on that. And I was like, oh, that's definitely just graphics that they recreated. And then you cut wide to her looking through those actual letters. Yeah. I was like, man, that's a gift. Oh, yeah. It's that, incredible, right? Yeah, yeah. right? That made me bummed too. I'm like, I would, n- I never say anything like this to my Dude. parents. I, <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, you I, definitely I, want to call your mom. This is this the movie. call your mom movie of the year. Yeah. We always talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, and I would come home from the edit bay every day and look at my own children and be like, why don't you treat me the way <laughs> Anton treats his parents? What am I doing wrong? Yeah. You know what I mean? They're sure. like, well, it's, you are you investing yeah. in us the same <laughs> yeah. that his parents yeah. invested in No, there. no kidding, right? <laughs> Um, uh, but you know, like I, I was talking about, I, you know, I really latched on to this bond he had, and I, I knew that's how I wanted to tell the story through these letters. And I knew I wanted to do the film in a linear fashion. You know, I wanted to make a coming of age story, um, and especially because, like I said, I didn't know Anton. And as I started kind of learning about him as he grew, there were surprises around every corner, from who he worked with to you know what his new interest was, and you know, as he got older. And so, like, he has all these experiences that we all have in coming of age of having your first kiss, getting drunk for the first time, but he did it for the love of making movies. And his first kiss wasn't a movie. Right. The sure. first time he got drunk was researching for a role in a movie. And I thought that was such an incredible... That footage you know, is awesome. Dude, him, I mean, it's amazing, right? Yeah, I mean, that, he luckily he filmed himself a lot. Yeah, thank God. Yeah. That's the first footage I actually saw wow. when I started looking at the archives. And I was like, okay. This, oh. this, is, this is something special. The archives. What do you mean? Did somebody digitize everything no, for you? No, well, no. I say archives. Uh, after his death, his parents just started gathering everything. Compiling. Not, yeah, compi- sure. not even knowing if they wanted to make a film. I think just... As part of their grief, maybe. It yeah. gave them something yeah. to do. Yeah. They yeah. needed, you know, and that he was their whole life, as it's seen in the film. So, you know, when we came in and agreed to do this, they handed everything over. And to be an editor first, as I still consider myself an editor first... To be, have all this material to really kind of sculpt and start a story from is more than you could ever ask for. And I, I knew I wanted to be, from his point of view, that was really important for me. So I had all these interviews and his writings and stuff like that where I could really get into his head and tell the story from me. You know, have Anton tell his own story as much as possible. Right, right. Well, that's something Matt and I talked about yeah. is... I feel like there's a little bit of a trend in documentary filmmaking recently of like the filmmaker really inserting themselves into the documentary and narrating things and writing like kind of this overly produced yeah, there weren't enough selfies of you, Garrett. That's, <laughs> yeah. what, that's what we're getting. I keep well, I've got I, selfies of yeah, Garrett. Uh, if you want like those. I was looking for the footage of you guys at the edit bay being like. I keep getting asked for that. I'm like, I don't have a single yeah, yeah, photo yeah, of yeah, me yeah. making this film. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or, 
Yeah, but uh, it should just but, be like. But you're right, Orin. I think it's re- it's really refreshing to have like a, a more uh, objective point of view. I think. Yeah. yeah. I think and, and I think also the the tone and voice is still quite clear without it being a first person journalism. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's nice to hear. Also, because he's a child actor, like the people, like you're talking about his first kiss, or like the first person that, at least according, like uh, how I interpreted the movie, that fell in love with him was like Kristen Stewart. Like you have this like amazing cast in a documentary, well, right? I mean, the interviews are just so unguarded and, you know, real, and it, it not surface at all. And that's just, again, that's just this testament to the person he was. Watching it as a filmmaker, you were like, oh, wait, there's another famous person, another yeah. famous person. You guys have so many huge interviews, you know, yeah. so many huge gets. And I think it's partially the result of and done 67 movies, is that right? 69. 69. Of course, 69. I mean, of course, yeah, of course, course, course 69. Yeah. Of course, 69. But he so was that, also very good at that's 69. So, yeah, yeah. He was. Um, that's, those are the two takeaways, Himself. actually. Yeah. Um, so many, you're just yeah. like overwhelmed, it must be, to have like, okay, well, you've got, how do you cut from, you know, <laughs> Kristen Stewart to you know to Drake to, to right. you know you're just kind of bouncing around to all of these huge people Chris Pine plays a huge role in the movie right. but like yeah, you've got like giant giant movie stars right. yeah and that Chris for, Pine was, for, was okay you know <laughs> yeah. I he he's so worked on his lines a little bit more in the movie he's so good I mean, he spoke for two straight hours yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah. right so what then, I love about all those actors is how they had the same reaction to him too like um what's his name from Star Trek uh Zach Zach Quinto Quinto, yeah, Zach yeah. Quinto, yeah. Uh, like they're like we look at this kid and we're like oh we wish we were doing <laughs> right. what he was doing like right. his fascination is like infectious you know and um, what I also love about Ant and it, it, he treated everybody this, his, whether his childhood friends to his work colleagues and his co-workers everybody was on an equal playing field with him you know he loved them all and he impacted everybody across his path and it's just you know and like you know and what also was really important to me for this film is like you know yeah we get Jennifer Lawrence Kristen Stewart but I didn't want to you know it wasn't about that. So I don't even introduce these people until Anton meets them in his life. Right. You know what I mean? Which and that's is such right, a right. wonderful that's a, detail. Yeah, I would have yeah. probably kind of montage of them right at the top. Right. The trailer. But it would have been so just long. giant names. So I, I want to learn actually how you decided to trim things down. Because there are yeah. like mega stars that have, you know, like Martin Landos in two right. setups, yeah. like two so, shots, right? Like, right. and that's true for Anthony Hopkins. It's true for a ton of people, Right. right? Again, I mean, everyone, there's, first off, everybody wanted to talk about it. Everyone wanted to be a part of this project. So we had 60 plus interviews. And do you like just, how do you contact them? Do you like call their agents? Uh, agents. Everybody wanted to help. Irina and Victor, you know, knew mm-hmm. a lot of people. Oh, um, right, and, right. and, and because they, they have so relationships involved. with a lot of them already existing as well. Yeah, right. Having, you know, you know Irina, you Irina was a... with them all the time as a kid. So he oh, got right. to know these people. She got to know these people also, you know, and so. And do you have a higher chance of getting the interview if you tell them you'll film at their house? or, <laughs> or a, place yeah, a lot or... of them are done in people's homes and. It, it, and I think on they, location wherever they're at. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just make uh, it convenient for yeah, them. Exactly. Yeah. And like, yeah. we did, did you guys fly around a lot for this movie? New York was the only place to get a handful of the interviews. Um, but you know, and like you know, nothing's over stylized, and the way it's shot, everything's pretty natural, and it's just it's. I think it just helps people talk honestly. They they just felt comfortable talking about him. Can I ask actually some technical stuff about those interviews? Yeah. Um, I'll answer as of, much as I can. <laughs> sure, sure. But just like the kit, like how many people are you rolling in with? How much oh, are you lighting? All that. It was, a, sound, it was yeah, yeah. a DP with a with his yeah, own kit and a sound PAs. guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's it. 
Yeah, that's it, I had a hunch that it was yeah, like, just keep it. it. And yeah, you it very, yeah. very contained. But it was cool, too, because, I mean, having done it myself as well in the movie, you really don't, you're right, it does feel unguarded because there's no one around. It right. feels like you're just in your living room just chatting about your old friend. I, I think mean, was, you literally are. It had literally that vibe. Yeah. And it was yeah. very therapeutic for people to talk. I don't think uh, people have had a chance to talk about Anton yet. And I mean, that so sort unexpected. Of, right. Yeah, what, so. Well, I'm curious. So you're cutting the movie while you're shooting these interviews, I'm assuming. Yeah. So do you feel like, oh, I'm missing this part. No one's really talking about his, about this. Like when I talk to Drake, let's try to cover this. When I talk to Kristen, let's try to no, cover it, this. No, to me also, a lot of these interviews are done before I even started cutting. Oh, you know what I mean? And yeah, I, sure. I kind of let, and I think in any documentary, you let the footage tell you the movie you're making. You go in with an idea, but, you know, I think there's the Hitchcock quote, you know. You know, in a scripted film, the director is God, but in a documentary, God is the director. You know, right. and that's you don't know good. what you're making. You know, and it's you go in, and as an editor, I that's, this is the way I'm used to working. You know, where you're presented with all this footage that you've gathered, and then sculpt and find your narrative in the edit bay, and that's still how I feel comfortable making films. Sure. You know, and I'm a type of person also. I don't write things out. I have to throw paint against a wall, or in this case, a timeline, and really just kind of sculpt it. And that, you know, that's the way I see things. I've always seen it that way. And that's kind of my process in all of this. But you know from like a thematic point of view that it's a, you want your thematic core to be about his relationship with his yeah. and, mom. Do and you the, those are the ones I picked up. That? No, no. And, the, and that's when I start, you know, that's where I would go back to them and talk about certain things. And they were open to talking about whatever. As hard as it was for them to talk about certain things, they were always there for me. Right. So the parents you can revisit a few times. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, smart. Oh, let me ask you about one kind of interesting uh, decision you made. So Nicolas Cage is reading the. Uh, oh yeah, Anton's, he's the voice of Anton yeah, yeah. At, as a child in his diaries. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So once I kind of figured out, I wanted to frame this movie in these letters, um, and I needed a mega, an A-list megastar. I, well, I, I needed someone to be to read his <laughs> Isn't words. Isn't star-studded enough? Uh, I, know, <laughs> right, I know. Well, this is the thing, and I, I needed someone to read his words. Yeah, yeah. And. And I didn't want anyone to be Anton. I just want someone to read Anton's words. But it was very important to me that person had an emotional connection with Anton um, that wasn't already a talking head in the movie that we've gotten. And like to bring a little gravitas to the role because there's not enough in it. <laughs> I mean, it is an incredible voice, right? It's yeah. an incredible. And so we, we, so I asked Irina, I was like, hey, this is what I'm looking for. Is there anyone that you think we should try to go after that held a special place in Anton's heart? We haven't talked to it yet. She goes, Nick Cage. And I was like, and did they work yeah. together? What they did a, a Paul Schrader film called Dying in the Light. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, the film didn't work, but they had an incredible experience together. I mean, Nick Cage is kind of like, I mean, the idea that Anton would have become Nick Cage later in his life. Yeah. Just him as an artist. I mean, he just made sure. similar choices and risks and tried different things, big movies, small movies. Yeah, the kind of kindred spirits as we yeah, talk about. Yeah, kindred spirits. Yeah. So it, it really makes sense that he's kind of the, the voice of it. Though Nick Cage is like uh, Coppola's nephew, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. But it, and uh, but what was, Anton escaped from Russia. Yeah, yeah. besides <laughs> that. But but so she, she mentioned Nick and we were like, we listened, we watched Raising Arizona, and we're like, oh my gosh, we should, we got to use him for voiceover. Like, I've never heard of this guy, but we'll watch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but you, <laughs> he, he, he has so much voiceover in that movie, and we're like, this is kind of, it's so right. emotional. A lot of movies. It's Adaptation, so good. Weatherman. And so we reach out, and he's like, I'm honored to do it. Just come out to Las Vegas, spend a couple of days with me. So Drake and I go out to Las Vegas, of like, course. I got to see what you're made of. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we go to this recording studio and wait, are you, do you guys hang out with him in Vegas? We, it's we, like visiting. He was Thompson. very professional, but uh -huh. he was very emotional and he yeah. you know, literally what? said, God, this is really important. Oh, and cool. He really wait. felt like it was important. It was so cool. Wait, so you guys don't go out with him in Vegas? <laughs> that we kept, 
we thought we would. <laughs> yeah, we hoped. <laughs> no, it, I think, it, honestly, the experience for him was, ripped him apart emotionally. It, it, he had a, it, you can hear it in his voiceover. He's like, he let's cancel cracking. the parties, cancel yeah. everything. Yeah. And you guys are like, no, no. It's, it's no, he, he, he had, he had, it was <clears> really <throat> special. But what I found so incredible is when I picked out all these entries I wanted him to read, I sent him everything like two weeks before we came out here thinking, oh, he'll look at it once and, you know, and he'll read all everything when we meet him. But uh, he came in with the paper I sent him, crinkled up. He knew all the words already. That's awesome. And when in his first reading, he broke down and needed time to recuperate and recover and came out, like Drake said, said, this is something really special I've been asked to do. And he was a consummate professional awesome. and really brings it to another level, I think. Having him a part and of it. Sorry for making all those jokes. I oh, mean, it's, I, I do. No, it's okay. I, I know. I <laughs> mean, you're I apologizing this guy. <laughs> well, I know. I mean, I don't want to take away from. We the, all have our own defense. Mechanisms. No, it's all good. Um, yeah. Well, so why did you choose not to shoot him? Yeah, it, it was it, again. It was just channeling Anton and reading his words, and also it just. I don't know if it had the impact on him besides working with Nick. That a lot of these others were so formidable to him. Sure. Yeah, so it, having him interviewed, talking about Anton was far less interesting to us. I think that. Right. Right. That's cool. Yeah. It, there is again going back to the number of movies that he did. Right. It is tricky to pick out which ones are your personal favorites versus yeah. like the ones that left a large impact on people right. and like what resonated. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, how did you kind of pick and choose? You know, I, I think it was, you know, as I started really reading his journals and learning about him and talking to people, the ones I felt that really impacted him as not just an actor, but as a human being, you know, and the people he met and, his, and who became lifelong friends that impacted him later on in life. So, that's, you know, that's kind of how, you know, you know, I approached it. I mean, there were, there were so many, you know, it's just... It was, it was daunting at first, and you just start paring it down. Yeah. It's like Diary of Anne Frank and stuff. Like, how lucky are you? Right, absolutely. And again, I... I um, if I passed away, people would just, like, have to look at my text no, messages right. and my emails, and, and I guess. Instagram, maybe. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. 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 So thank God. Yeah, Nick again. Cage is just reading, okay, got it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks, uh, Star. And, his, <laughs> and autocorrect. His mom saved all their messages, the correspondence between each other and all their emails. So it was, you know... Again, to be given all of this to draw from to tell the story it really helped. Wow! And so, what did so Drake as as your role as a producer? What do you what are you doing on this? I think a lot of just supporting shoulder rubs. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, you know, a lot of a lot of yeah. just uh, you know giving notes and trying to you know be a cheerleader at the same time while also just trying to kind of you know answer any questions or help him through the process of, yeah. of not doing this before but also it's just like storytelling it's simple storytelling it's yeah. just like at the end of the day it's like we're just trying to make the best story we can make and right. you know just really trying to help out from just from a from a storytelling standpoint yeah i think like, directing and cutting yourself you're kind of insulated so i need someone mm-hmm. you know to bounce ideas off of the yeah, chair exactly. that's a what, lot of that a lot of know, conversations so it's, it's nice having that and drake the filmmaker himself to be there always be there for me to do that so once you got all the footage i'm curious what's like your first step in figuring out what the story is again i kind of just started linear i started at the beginning do you just like do select from all the footage yeah, or do you write I a mean, timeline or go yeah, look to it as an imdb page or what yeah well i mean i had i had i basically had note cards on the wall i have every film in order he did them from you know and then i you know, spider webbed it out with like what interviews i wanted to try to get from each film who, you um, know and, and it, then you caught the and kind of started from there yeah and um yeah and i just i went in order when i started cutting it i mean it's just because i again like i was learning about anton 
as he was growing right, up. And I right. wanted I wanted to reflect that in the film itself. And like the only way to, for me to really do that was to go through the process I wanted an audience to go through as they watched so this how film. long did it take you to do that? It's embarrassing to say how quickly we made this film it, for a documentary. I think seven months in all in the, you know, not not with all the interviews, but with the actual like cutting and picking up interviews and stuff like that. I knew I had his movie to start. I had to finish it, wrap That's it up. Exactly <laughs> right. the issue well, so here. I'm curious. Can we talk about it's something we almost never talk about in the podcast? About like financing, like a documentary, yeah. like this. Like obviously, your time is well, very valuable. Yeah, your time is valuable. You're working with you know studios and other people on other things. How do you figure out? the money part of it. Yeah, I mean, it, again, it's pure independent film. It wasn't a film very expensive movie to make. It, it, you, know, it, you know, the Yelchins, you know, after the accident, they were able to help fund this film because... And the foundation. Were, the foundation. They didn't want anything to do with this money, but keep Anton's legacy alive. So we were lucky to have that available. But again, even as documentary goes, we, there wasn't much budget at all, you know? Right, right. It's mostly found footage and then the absolutely basically yeah. those interviews right? absolutely exactly. we didn't so we didn't just, even go heavy i mean the grat even the visual effects are very just simple i just wanted you know a feeling of anton you know his tenacity of writing and so it's like really mostly your time is kind of the yeah. main expense uh, yeah yeah cool Which it, yeah. it was worth seven every second you're doing working on it almost non-stop probably absolutely yeah but he sacrificed a lot i mean he you know, he has a steady TV gig on and off and, you know, health insurance and a family and all those yeah, things. You have health insurance? Kind of get know, out right? of here. <laughs> he, took, he took a large portion of his year to go do this because yeah. he was so passionate about it. Yeah, so there's real opportunity costs. For yeah. Sure. And awesome it was, that he did that. But it, it certainly and again, it, was, it, it all led uh, just sitting down with his parents that first meeting and just learning about this incredible human being he was so he was layered like, i have to do this let's like, do this yeah i was like this maybe this is what i'm meant to be doing at this moment in my life yeah, you know? yeah. did you feel weird that you didn't know him no like, I, you're I, surrounded by I, all these people that I, did i don't think it would have worked any other way you know if that makes sense um you know it my i was most scared when i finished the film who to show it to with his close group of friends even more so almost than his parents because friends know that other side Right. More than anything, you know what I mean. As much right. as close and they know as he the was, balance of it. the balance, and and that was just an ultimate compliment. Is when they all came up and just like, this is my friend, and that means everything, you know. What's the TV gig that you ended on? I was on Nashville. Oh, the really? TV show, <laughs> yeah. So oh, completely so different. Cool. But I, I, I've done, I've jumped back and forth between. You've done a lot TV, of documentary, a lot, a lot of TV, yeah. commercials, everything. But yeah. I love prefer, telling stories. Is that why you work with Drake? Because his stuff is kind of yeah. in the middle. Yeah, no, I, you know, I, it's hard. I don't, it's like picking a favorite child. You know what I mean? So it's like, once you have another so one, you'll you secretly it out. have one? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah basically. <laughs> you just don't admit which don't one Don't have you that like second kid. No, I'm joking. Yeah. Um, no, it's like. It, That's what it's going to say on your, on your tombstone. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, my second kid's awesome. Second kid. um, uh, no, it's like, you know, w- when I finish a doc, there's no better feeling, you know, getting it out there. It feels like such an accomplishment. But the process of it, it's always living with you always living with you when I do like a film I can leave the edit bay as an editor and just go home have my balance of family life right. and come Complain back about and, the movie yeah. to your except for his wife. film but 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 yeah but like with docs they just live with you you know you're constantly thinking about it right. well then I'm, I'm curious then what's next have, having learned so much from this film and like yeah. had, had, it's a pretty emotional process you guys are in the middle of publicity on everything yeah. the movie's rolling out right yeah um, but how has this film changed your trajectory career-wise? Yeah, especially as a director. Like I know Jake was, Drake was joking about former editor, but like 
like is this a new I don't know yeah Drake keeps saying yes it is it's changing but I I still love the art of editing and I still will always consider myself well there's I mean directing is editing and there's simpatico yeah yeah I think Drake is like I'm trying to hire a new editor and I don't want (laughs) Garrett to be offended (laughs) yeah Yeah. let's push him let's push him far in the directing room yeah the person who replaced you on Nashville is like so (laughs) basically Um, but yeah so I you know I again I think it this came out of nowhere. I was never searching to go direct a movie, and it just kind of came naturally. Sure. Um, so I'm hoping if it happens again, it's the same way, you know. Or unless I find something, it's got to be organic to you, and you got to be, be passionate about it. But Especially, I mean, you should—that's that's huge. You, you definitely should continue to do it. Oh, thank you. That'd be great. Yeah. Can you? Can we just go askew for a second, and yeah. can you just tell us about editing Nashville and like what that like what you learn and what kind of experience it is oh, to work on a big network show especially on yeah the it, edit side it's a blast i mean you know it's you know it's melodrama at its finest mm-hmm. but it's still cutting emotion cutting story it's cutting music which i love so much um i got to work with so i came in when these two showrunners marshall herskovitz and ed zwick took over oh, yeah. the show so i didn't realize they were they took over the show so i i learned my, something right yeah exactly so i learned a lot from them as you know as Filmmaking and you know they jump back and forth between films and TV. Also, they're kind of one of the first people to do that. So it was it was a good experience. And I had worked with Ed's son Jesse's Wick on a movie called About Alex years ago as an editor, and he was a part of it. So you know I, I learned a lot. You know, does working. any of that inform like oh your documentary storytelling? Oh, I, oh, well, I, I think I think scripted stuff. Yeah, I think they inform each other more than ever nowadays. Even you know just taking the way Drake makes his films. You know, it's it's. You know, you can't, like I said, you cannot recreate these moments Drake is able to find, you know, in these improvised films. You know? What What about with something more hard scripted, like I, like with the Na- Nashville yeah. to Love and Tosha? Um, yeah, to to, to, to an extent, you sure. know, what I mean, I mean, again, it's, it's especially a show where there is emotion, drama, stuff like that. You, you know, you, you try to, re- you know, I think in documentary, documentaries be coming so popular because they really do follow narrative structures now you know what i mean they have, they follow a three-act structure and i think people feel that when they watch you know, unscripted films now um and i think that's one of the reasons why they become so popular besides sure. streaming but well, <laughs> sure. yeah so i think a story and I, I i came up under uh, this documentary writer his name is mark monroe it's kind of where i learned and he did like the cove and you know tillman story and just did Pavarotti. i mean he, He's a, he's a documentary writer, and he's kind of the one that taught me how to kind of create docs-like films, you know? That's awesome. Um, well, I just I feel like we can't have the two of you on the podcast without just discussing for a second, like, how, like your process for making, like, a, like a Drake movie. Because yeah. I, because, uh, I know you've probably discussed this ad nauseum, like, for years, but I, I just think it's so fascinating, and I don't know that all our listeners, like, are familiar with it. But you, you know, you do like kind of these soft scripted movies, right? Um, and you're editing them and you're finding stories. And I know right. it's the DP that shot like crazy, one of your earlier movies, which was, I think, one of like the first 7D features, right? Kind of came out around the same time as Tiny Furniture, right? I think so, yeah. Um, and you, And I remember because I was working with John at the same time that he... Yeah would leave he's like oh we're just gonna take a flight to london because we just need to shoot something on this airplane real quick you know or like um and you guys were i was so jealous of this idea of like kind of shooting your movie and then 
finding, finding what's yeah. ru- what's missing and adding more pieces to it. Mm-hmm. It's fun. It's like baking a cake and taking it out every right. ten minutes and adding to it. <laughs> Which they tell you not to open the oven, but I'm always like, no, I'm a big believer right. in that. I mean, it's 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 like cheating, right? right. Sure. It's like, of course you would do it that way. Why yeah. wouldn't you? Yeah. Right. I well, mean, as an editor, it's completely liberating. You know. It, are you involved from early on in the process? I read, read the outline, and I'm, I'm cutting the day after they start shooting. I'm yeah, starting cool. to kind of look at the footage. Which is with, new for me, because usually I do the yeah. assembly. But I stopped doing that just because it just became too difficult. But usually right. I, I just make selects, reels, and assemblies, and then right. have an editor come in and do it. But Right. Well, this was, I mean, with, you know, with a Drake movie, you, you have to know every second of that footage. Because... Got to go back and find something and drop it in. Yeah, the well, and it's, it's those moments in between is where you really want to dig out. And those are the moments you can't yeah. recreate another way. Um, right. And as an editor, it's very liberating because he's, he's always just cut on emotion. You don't have to follow any rules. You know what I mean? We'll figure that stuff out later. Are you trying later. to hit plot points? Like I saw actually in Love and Toto, you have like a bunch of scripts. Yeah, and you had I think yeah, some I pages mean, from like crazy, which I think are one of the biggest like mis- misconceptions of the movies I make is that they're just willy nilly and they're improvised right. and they're just yeah, like, you're not like hey, happens. just meet me at the McDonald's, everybody. But it's so much, yeah. I think you have to be even more specific about what you're looking for and more specific about the objectives and more specific right. about plot and more specific about backstory because that will inform everything that's surprising and that right. you're not expecting. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's got to be even more specific, I think, actually. And the outlines are so detailed. Yeah, very. it's like a short story. It's yeah. like 80 pages, and it's really, really specific. And there's stuff in there that wouldn't even be in a normal script. The only yeah. thing that's missing is dialogue. Because right. to me, dialogue is um, it's like the last piece of ammunition I want to fire in my gun. Wait, that's going to come later. What's the type of thing that's in there that wouldn't be in a normal script? Like how, um, like how you're going to shoot it? Mostly subtext. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's mostly understanding the psyche and mental state of what's going on with the characters and how they interact with each other. Can you give a us lot an example of, of like how you would write that? Uh, well, I mean, how much time like, do you have? <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, it, it's a, uh, I don't mean like, question. I don't mean the big, I mean like, a spe- I think like, it's just trying to like, like describe, me- you know, take a paragraph, you know, for a minute and just describe like everything they're fighting against inside themselves and why they're doing that and how they're feeling and, how they're trying to feel and their objective to try to get to a different place or get something out of somebody. Just descriptive dialogue, you know, descriptive stuff But is like it, that. it's not, you wouldn't write like he's sad, but you would write like he wants feels. her out of there because. Yeah. Yeah, he feels uh, yeah, or right, it's right. more, yeah, it's more and that. But. Perhaps are you reminding the reader and the actor simultaneously of like, oh, remember like they feel about certain, a certain way about this character because of X, Y, Oh, well, and that's the, the, the tough part about shooting out of, out of order. Sure. You really have to know all that stuff. But right. yeah, it's more, it's, but there's a lot of plot in there too. It's a lot of, you know, I don't know. It's pretty specific, but the best part is the stuff that you don't expect. Right. But are you writing this script? I think most of us, when we write a script, we're trying to get like agents to like it, you know? Yeah. Um, or other people, or it depends kind of what sure. level you're at. The screenwriting you, you have to like put a little bit of a bow on it to be like, yeah. I'm going to make this presentable to people. Yeah, I'm but not you're, you're writing it for the concerned. reader. Yeah, yeah. I could care fucking less about yeah. that. Whereas I feel like you're writing it for the cast, right? It's, it's totally for the actors yeah. and, and, and to inform everybody else. But I mean, at the end of the day, there's mood boards and music and different things to give to everybody else. But for the actors, it's mostly, yeah, that's, that's yeah. for them. Yeah. Drake know? gave but, me a folder of 80 songs. He goes, this is the movie. Yeah, <laughs> get to know that. it. That's, but I mean, at the beginning when I started doing this, it was it was yeah. I mean, it was hard to get money. People weren't 
they didn't know what this was. I didn't know what it was. I right. was still experimenting. I, I was still you were shooting on a 7D yeah, instead I was, of a 5D. I, I was still experimenting with this hybrid that I had learned growing up in the improv world and then going to film school. I was experimenting with the hybrid, you know, in the first couple. And then suddenly they start to work and then you start to realize, oh, okay, well, this is a viable form of financing and, and, and making a movie. So, Well, I think the other part of that, though, is also when they start to work, you can attract talent like Anton that's huge right yeah. Yeah. well no but that was the first one right? the second one well you did I made a movie called Spooner. douchebag that was at Sundance in 2010 that was improvised that was the first improv movie I made gotcha that was oh, number you made one douchebag before like crazy oh, yeah the year before oh and that's what kind of that was that was the $25,000 uh, uh, litmus test for the process mm-hmm. and it was a disaster we learned a lot we went back and shot over Wasn't various it weekends starring your editor yeah, Andrew Dickler, who's now Christopher Guest's editor, who's so a fucking amazing human being, very strange, very out there, very eccentric. So you have a pattern of taking your editors and putting <laughs> them know. out In of, different roles. Yeah, I'm yeah. not going to be in a movie. <laughs> I'm not going to be in front of the camera. That's right. You weren't in the last yeah. movie. Well, well, I, I want to learn a little bit more about how... So you've got this douchebag, you said, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you're looking to make like crazy. Did you have a relationship with Anton beforehand? No, I met him. Uh, we started writing it right when we got back from Sundance. So we started writing February. We were shooting in June. And then we were at Sundance the following year. So it was very quick. Super fast. Yeah. Super fast. But it was just like, okay, this is an idea. I'd gone through a similar experience and then met Anton right away. And then within 10 minutes, he was like my little brother. We Wait, were but like, how did you meet him? Did you? Uh, producer Jonathan Schwartz introduced us. He said, you got to meet this kid. I think he's I think he's perfect for you. And I think he's, a, he's, he's, he's your guy. And within 10 minutes, he was like taking pictures pictures of me and he was asking all these weird questions and i was and like is he doing like an impression of you or how does no he's he's playing he's playing a version of himself essentially with a lot of ideas and spiritual feelings about dating and loss and love and longing and all that shit that i what what context did he have upon meeting you like uh, he, he read the outline you? yeah gotcha yeah <laughs> and we just had lunch and it was just like when we left i was like wow this is and in the movie it. he talks about like, the excitement he got from this yeah improvised work like he found a Absolutely. new part of himself I mean he, he straight up says this is the future of filmmaking in his eyes is making oh, these types of yeah, films it's, and that's why I love that line and I think he it's, was born to do it though yeah. he really he really has a he really had a knack for being present yeah. and listening in a way that I think a lot of actors don't well I mean that's just I mean look who he worked against all these great well, that's what Irina said one time it's like every single female that he worked with became a giant star after they worked with <laughs> right. so you premiered at Sundance yeah. and are you guys at a place you guys have both had multiple films there are you at a place where you can just call them up and say like hey uh, like open up a slot for our movie no uh, <laughs> but but it does help to have a, a comfortable relationship with a lot of really amazingly smart programmers over there but at the end of the day they base it just on merit and we were lucky enough to have this movie in right. I mean to me US documentary program at Sundance is like next to none it's amazing every year the documentaries that are there so it was just so amazing to have this there yeah it was an honor you know I mean especially I mean Sundance was a home away from home for Anton so to be able to screen essentially his last film in front of that audience you know it was a massive audience and it's a very emotional experience um it was it was, it was incredible it was the proper beginning of this journey I think and since his parents and like the foundation kind of originated the film, how much were you guys in, involved in like distribution and like selling it and like any of that stuff? The very involved. Release? Yeah. I mean, very. I mean, there, there were there were a few interesting offers, but at the end of the day, we decided to self distribute the film because we could just do it a little bit better and a little bit more specifically yeah. to how the vision for distributing it would be. And I think so far, for the most part, everything just feels right. And I think it would have been a totally different release if we had. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize you guys were on the, self on the, on the theatrical yeah. side. Yeah, oh, interesting. Just, yeah, yeah, it's 
Then who? So did you guys decide? So there's a billboard for the movie. Yeah, on Sunset Boulevard, yeah, very yeah, yeah. close to. I had to sell house. a kidney for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 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 raising money to to buy a kidney if anyone yeah. wants. Yeah, yeah. How much uh, did you sell the kidney for? I'm just curious. Uh, 40, 40, 42 dollars. Uh, uh, no, forty-two dollars. Forty. <laughs> <laughs> you could have gone up a little bit, buddy. Yeah, I, was, I got lowball. Yeah. I, I didn't want to lose the op. Sure. <laughs> the smaller, yeah. So. No, it's, it's it's kind of falling the trajectory of a of a film that is just property distribu- I mean distributor from a bigger company and it's been exciting because we've got to control the key art the trailer the way we've wanted to do it and the cool thing is the reviews have been really strong and yeah. I think that that's in in this day and age with an art house documentary it's means a lot so yeah. so and we got picked basically we have this thing with all the landmarks across the country who've picked us up so we get to do a proper rollout and I you? think a lot of our listeners are curious about self district distribution yeah. right now yeah, we've had, i can't tell you how many people we've had on in the last year or so that are right. like especially like a sundance film like we well, hear it, a lot about it, 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 it like, what's interesting is we we got offers movies. and it was always essential for anton's parents that this plays in theaters because that's what anton loved and we weren't getting quite you know the love on that front that we were hoping for and they were like why don't we just do this ourselves can yeah. we do it and yeah, we had cool. the we had the access to do it you know, again, it wasn't that crazy, but we'd be able to do a little bit more than I think if we went to a traditional. But like you were saying, Matt, I mean, it's a fucking free-for-all now. Yeah, and there's and no I rules think, anymore. And it's right, like right. every six months, like six months from now, everything distribution is going to change completely and mm-hmm. ancillary is going to change completely. It's like it's changing so quickly now that the idea of, of being able to control how and where and when your movie is seen is really exciting right. and interesting. And the well, last question, I just want to learn a little bit. How did you guys prepare for self-distribution? Like what were the things you did? Because this is the first time you both have ever done it, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, yeah. are you guys targeting his fans in any way? I think there's, there's, I mean, I think it's just hiring really smart people that understand how to do all this stuff. And, you know, you know, between publicists and the theatrical bookers and the, the targeted ads. And now, team, I mean, it's yeah. crazy how specific. Are you doing social? Like, it's, oh, yeah. it's mostly also, all social. In a movie like this. I definitely have, got Instagram it, ads, well, we for have, sure. Yes! And we have so many people in the movie that are willing to step to, forward oh, and help and support the company. Talk about and it, that's sure. why we thought this was probably the best case scenario. You, you inadvertently know? made an influencer movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, like Nicolas right. Cage wears a love and <laughs> yeah, yeah. shirt on yeah. SNL or something. Actually, the, actually, there's more people in this movie that don't have social media accounts. Yeah, that's it's, sure. It's like that's Jennifer, true, yeah. Kristen, Chris. I mean, it's like, you guys. get so famous you don't need it yeah, anymore. Yeah. yeah, smart. But everyone that does has been really supportive. Dude, Jennifer been... Lawrence, could you get her to wear like a love and <laughs> yeah, yeah. denim jacket She or has something? some great, great Anton stories yeah. in the movie though. Yeah, it's been, yeah, it's it's been an incredible journey and we're just happy it's out there it's it's the universes now you know it's like and do you have the like a home release scheduled or that we're waiting on and there's some interesting things yeah there's a, yeah, there's a, that, there's that, a lot to see what happens here in the next month theatrically yeah. and then i think everything will yeah. kind of be decided after that but yeah just wait and see and try to be nimble i mean that's the big thing about self-distribution too is you have to be nimble change course listen to what's going on Look at the markets. Look at everything. I mean, it's just so yeah. you know specific. There's just so much content out there now. Yeah. Do you in in this self distribution model? Are you trying to make money on the theatrical? Or are you trying to set the theatrical up to push the like the long tail? You know, it, it's I think mainly that. I mean, yeah. Every dollar this movie makes is going towards this foundation, and 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 they give amazing grants to artists every year. So yeah, it'd be it'd be great if it makes money. But at the end of the day, too. I think setting it up for the next three years of ancillary and people experiencing the movie all over the world in different ways yeah. is a huge piece of this theatrical as well. Right. Makes sense. Cool. And what's your next the movie you guys worked on at the same time? What's that one called? It's called Endings, Beginnings. 
And it's premiering at Toronto uh, at the beginning yeah. of September. And um, Are there any apostrophes in there? Yeah, endings, comma, comma, beginnings. <laughs> yeah, it stars Shailene Woodley, Sebastian Stan, Jamie Dornan, Matthew Gray Goobler, and um, it's Kira just another, Sedgwick. Yeah, Kira <laughs> Sedgwick, yeah, sure. Absolutely, yeah. No, I mean, it's just, uh, you know. And it's made in that same way with that. Yes, it's, super, it's probably the closest thing to Like Crazy that I've made. It's the, probably the most personal. More uh, personal than Like Crazy? Uh, it's right on the edge. They're They're both very, you know, close, actually. Probably the most... It's probably the most similar to that. We shot in L.A. uh, last fall, and, um, you know, it's, uh, you know. On an A7S or? uh, No, we shot on the the Alexa Mini this time. Sure, sure, of course. (laughs) The the 7D of 2018. (laughs) Yeah, really. God, it's just crazy. You're like, I need less light now. This is incredible. (laughs) Yeah, right. I I mean, that's, yeah, the 7D was amazing. You guys, when you shot the 7D, I remember you had like a, a hot-rotted 70, right? That's yeah, a it was PL like a PL mount. mount sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yes, with the uh, Zeiss Ultra Primes yeah, going, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so cool. Um, well, guys, congratulations. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, before you leave, we have a final segment okay. called Unpaid Endorsements. Bum, ba, dum, bum. Unpaid Endorsements. First of all, I, I feel like it, it, our listeners, if they haven't seen like crazy, uh, you know, and kind of in some of the other movies, it's really interesting to see, to hear how you guys make it and then watch one of those movies right. and see how, uh, like how interesting the performance is going to be. I think for our listeners, we have a lot of younger listeners that might be newer to the film industry, maybe miss some of those movies that are, that are worth you, watching. How could you possibly um, fucking miss that? <laughs> but uh, this is kind of a reendorsement, but uh, there's this guy, Chris, I don't even know his last name. He has this company called Film Editing Pro. They like teach, do like editing tutorials, and they do these editing courses that you can pay whatever, like a thousand dollars to take. And um, but he, I've never, I've <laughs> yeah. never taken any of his court, his like full courses. But he does these free ones, like videos. And he just put out another free, uh, a whole free series. Actually, only the second. It's a three piece part series, and only the second one is out today. But um, it's all about music editing. Uh, and oh, so it's cool. film editing pro and it's all about music editing and it's yeah. like my biggest pet peeve when I work with editors especially on commercials is that nobody knows or cares about like music editing and it's yeah. like especially in comedy so, it's like what makes a joke work or doesn't or not work or and in it, horror make a scare I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's horror. and like I keep seeing pe- editors just like flay, put a crossfade you know or just like oh, yeah. cut in the middle of it like or like literally I'm working on something and we, I worked with the editor and I thought the edit was pretty good it was a commercial and then they took it away from me, you know, as, as usual, the producers and right. clients, everyone was giving notes and I, they showed me the cut yesterday to like show me what the VFX look like. And they put a slide whistle. They changed oh. the music track and they just ended, <laughs> they stopped it with it. And I was like, I, I couldn't tell if it was like a joke, like yeah. just, uh, just like a fuck but you. But it's like the laziest uh-huh. thing. I'm like, yeah. even if you're going to use a slide whistle, which I don't yeah. think you ever should, unless that's the joke yeah. that you are using a slide whistle. Um, you should, it should be on a beat, you know, a musical beat. Anyway, so Chris, film editing pro, music editing, just like a film editing pro, and there's this free three-part course about scoring uh, and making music work. And he actually asked for suggestions on what he should cover, and I emailed him. I was like, a, a really hard thing to figure out, I think, especially for new editors, is how to even start looking for music. Like, what words? Like, I'll literally ask people, like, what word what would describe words? this song, you right. know, or this type of feeling? And he has a, and he made a whole video on how to find music yeah, and what makes yes. good music for editing. So anyway, that's that my, cool. those are my endorsements. Cool. Mine's nice and simple. It's a short film called Caroline uh, that played South by a couple years ago now. It's uh, by Logan George and Celine Held, and they've got a, they, I just saw on Deadline that they've got a new movie that they just signed up for. But the short is really beautiful. It's like 
What's it called? Caroline? Caroline, yeah. And it's about um, like a, a mom who uh, has to like go do it like a job interview really quick and like leaves her kids in the car. It's a super simple premise and just escalates really perfectly. And also the performances from the kids, the three kids that are in the car is like so beautiful and well-observed and uh, really special. So, and it's a 10 minutes, so that'll be in the show notes. But my endorsement, I'm I'm not lying. I've been watching the Gilmore Girls for like a month with my wife in bed. It's like the perfect thing to fall asleep to. Like from the start? From the start, have you seen and there's so many fucking episodes. Yeah, it's yeah. like, it's like, I, it's uh, we're only on season two, and it's, I feel like we've been watching this nonstop for. What, is it streaming somewhere? Where do you it's watch Netflix. it? Netflix, Netflix, yeah. And, and I heard this forever <laughs> ago. Like, I don't know if it's still true, but I think they held the record for like pa- ratio of pages, script pages to screen time that they have like sixty-five page scripts for like these forty-minute episodes. Probably, I wouldn't be surprised. There's a lot of talking in that show. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I mean, and they talk fast. a lot of talking. Yeah, yeah, um, annoyingly a lot of talking. But it helps me fall asleep at night. Cool. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I'm gonna do something different. Then I'm gonna go with music. There's a new album out by an artist by the name of Hayden Thorpe called Diviner. He was the ex Diviner. Diviner, yeah, the ex lead singer of a band called Wild Beasts, a really mm-hmm. cool indie band called Wild Beasts. Used a bunch of their music in my movies over the years, and they broke up, and it was really sad. And then suddenly, this guy came out with his album uh, a couple of months ago, and it just fucking blew me away. I think it's one of the best albums of the last ten years. It's incredible. It's unique. It's it's a very emotional, sort of introspective look at relationships in your lives and things ending and beginning. Actually, it's very similar to our yeah. movie, but yeah, Hayden Thorpe Diviner. I think it's just a brilliant album on Domino Thanks. Records. Perfect. Wow. Look at yeah. that. Well, cool. Well, if you want to uh, let us know what your unpaid endorsement is or have any thoughts or questions about Love Antosha, uh, you can email us at justshootapod at gmail.com. Uh, is there a URL for the movie? Yeah. How can people yeah, yeah. find uh, out about the movie? Yep. You, can, you can go on there and buy tickets and figure out when in your city the movie's playing. Yeah. Cool. And you can probably just Google yeah. that too, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. And do you guys have, uh, are you guys on social media, Twitter, any Yeah, where Instagram? can listeners find out more about you guys? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'm on I'm on Instagram and Twitter under my name. Me too. Drake Doremus. Yep. And Garrett, Garrett Price. Price. Yep. You're the only Garrett Price? I think so. That's pretty <laughs> awesome. I think so. So you're at Garrett Price. I'm two at, R's and no, two actually, P's. I'm at G Price Eleven mm. for Twitter. And I'm at There's Punto, ten of them I'm somewhere. At Punto underscore G for Instagram. What does Punto mean, by the way? Why is that? Uh, we'll talk about it later. Okay, cool. Uh, well, well, you can find uh, any everything about the podcast at justshootapod.com or on all social media at justshootapod. I'm at O Kaplan on Instagram, and I'm at Mr. Matt Enlo. Uh, this episode was edited by Jay McAuliffe, produced by Madeline Rosewatt. Our webmaster is Ewan Williams. And you're listening to The Artist Jazar, provided by the Free Music Archive. See you next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.